Good morning, everybody. It's good to see everybody. So last week, we uh, started on a series called Fundamentals, Finding New Joy in the Basics of Christianity. And for those of you who weren't here, and just to remind those who were, whoops, um, we use a, a simple kind of diagram. Let me see if I can get this working. We're having issues with some of the techie stuff. Can we put the next slide up? We use this diagram where we talked about God has called us to be like Christ, and yet sometimes there's a difference between Christ and Christianity. And over the next few weeks, we're looking at some of the basics of Christianity, some like the pillars of our faith, the things we do, and asking the question, is what we do what Jesus did, or is it some kind of variation? And how do we find, how do we search, as Kerry talked about, how do we search for what Christ did? So if you've got your Bibles, then please get them out, or you can turn them on. I'll read them to you. Um, I'm obviously going to read in an English accent, which I think is a benefit to you. Because we all know that God is an old Englishman. And so if you want to know what the voice of God sounds like. Okay, so, um, so just an extra, extra bonus from being here. Okay, so it says this in Acts chapter 8, starting at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandike, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the, uh, the book of Isaiah the prophet. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the book of Isaiah is part of the Bible in the Old Testament. The spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I? He said. Unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. So today we're going to look at the Bible and our Bible studies, the way we look at the Bible, is that the way that Jesus looked at the Bible? So, um, I don't know if you know this, but every so often, the Oxford Dictionary will actually, once a year, decides what word best summarizes the year. And for 2016, it was post-truth. I don't know if you know that. So, they said that the word that described 2016 and our society today is post-truth. Circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. In other words, people are more likely to believe what their friends feel and what they feel and less likely to take note of actual facts, which can be a pretty scary place to be, especially if you're the kind of person that can get overwhelmed by your feelings and by your emotions. So what is the antidote to post-truth? How do we know actual truth? I don't know if you know this, but before technology was invented with all our um, bills, uh, our paper money, and they have all these different technology, years ago, the way they trained people uh, in, the bank, uh, in the banks, I think the Bank of England, to figure out what was counterfeit, to spot counterfeit, was not show them lots of counterfeit notes so they could understand what was counterfeit. What they did was they got them to count real unique, proper money day in and day out. Because the best way to study a counterfeit is not to study the counterfeit, it's to study the truth. And so God has given us the Bible and we believe the Bible is truth. And um, 
we're going to talk about this in a moment. We're going to look at what our statement of faith is requiring the Bible. But I don't think post-truth is just something in the world. I think it's also kind of in the church as well. I think sometimes, and this is just for me, uh, and let me just speak personally. Sometimes I wonder, certainly in the past, how convinced was I of the Bible? So, for instance, if I really believed in God, if I really believed in a day of judgment, if I really believed in heaven and hell, why wasn't I telling my neighbor? Uh, why wasn't I, I just desperate to get them to know the Lord? Now, they might reject him, but why wasn't I so desperate? If I believed in, in the Bible and if I believed in miracles, why didn't I pray for them more often? Sometimes I had to ask myself the question, how convinced am I really or am I just hedging my bets? Am I pretty sure it's true and I'm more worried about if it's true, not doing the wrong thing than being absolutely convinced of the right truth? And sometimes things happen in my life that made me question. So for instance, sometimes I'd get really angry at people who didn't believe in God or really angry at people who attacked God and I thought to myself, why am I so angry at these people? If I truly believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven, then should I be more compassionate for them than angry with them? Do I really have an absolute conviction? Or am I like the man whose boy was healed by Jesus, who said to Jesus, Lord, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. And for me, the journey I've been on over the last few years has been really trying to figure out what is the Bible really? What, how did Jesus see the Bible? And most importantly, how did he study it in order that I would become more convinced? And that's led, I've got to be honest, to a completely new joy for me. You know, I mean, we all have problems, but when, when you have problems, as bad as they are, if you truly believe in eternity, they do become, some of them, a little bit petty. Um, when people hurt you or say things or bother you, if you truly believe that God has forgiven you, and that God only forgives those who forgive others, if you're truly convinced with that, it gives you a whole new joy. And so the Lord has given us the Bible, and, and I want to look at what that actually means to us today. So uh, our statement of faith as a church is this, is that we believe the Bible is the divine inspiration and supreme authority of the Old and New Testament scriptures, which are written in the Word of God, fully trustworthy for faith and for conduct. So the Bible didn't just float down from heaven. It wasn't one guy in a room somewhere and said, hey, I have a revelation and this is what we all need to believe. I'm sure you know some of this, but just let me just go through uh, the, the basics. The Bible has 66 different books in it. It was written by around about 40 different people over a period of one and a half thousand years, dating from about one and a half thousand years uh, before Jesus to around about the last book was probably written about 100 years after the birth of Jesus. Something like 40 generations separate the first author and the last author. Uh, and all these people came from different walks of life. So you had kings, peasants, philosophers, fishermen, poets, statesmen, and scholars. It was written, different books were written in different places, the wilderness, uh, dungeons, palaces, at different times of war and peace, in different moods, joy, depths of despair, happiness, sadness, grief, just, uh, just so many different emotions are in the Bible on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, and in three languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. 
and yet it fits so incredibly well together. I loved what Kerry said before. You don't really understand just how miraculously it fits together when you look at it from a surface point of view. In fact, when you look at the Bible from a surface point of view, there seems to be an awful lot of contradictions. It's only when you go deeper, understanding the context, that things begin to fit together a little bit more clearly. So uh, the way we get our Bible today, it, it wasn't like when they, they all just added a book together. Um, so forgive me if you know the basics. It weren't just added together. What happened was over a few years, uh, the church realized there was so much craziness being taught and people were just, if their emotions and their feelings, because post-truth is not a modern invention, if their feelings and emotions connected with that heresy or craziness, they would go towards it. So they needed a way of getting everything together and figuring out, well, what is truth? And so over the years, there were all sorts of different, what we call canons. And, and canons were, if you like, tests. So uh, a canon means a, a straight rod or a carpenter's rule. So it was a way of testing whether these books belonged in the Bible or not. And a lot of them didn't stand the test. Now, because I don't want to go into a seminar here, uh, I don't want to go through all the different types of tests, but some of them were to do with, for instance, in the New Testament, was this written by someone who was there at the time? Um, how, how, many, how many copies of this do we have, and how near to the date when they happened do we have these copies? They were tests of uh, authenticity and integrity. And uh, some things didn't make the cuts. So there are some books there that are really interesting, and in Havarine we use them to find context and biblical or, or non-biblical history, but they're not in the Bible because they didn't meet the tests. Uh, they, they just were a bit unsure about who actually wrote them. Well, like that with some of the books of the Bible, but we don't know when. And so actually, um, the last two of these canons in 393 and 397 is when the Bible as we know it came into place. So the 66 books that we have now came into place at this time in history. Uh, one of the books that was cut out was the Apocrypha, for instance. It's an interesting book, but we wouldn't see it as biblical. So my question is, we have the Bible, we have our beliefs. The more we understand, I, I found at least, my personal testimony, with the more I've understood the Bible, the more I've become convinced of it, the more I've checked it out with history outside of the Bible, which is what we do in Havarim, the more it's helped me find new joy in studying the Bible. But are there differences between the Bible as we know it and Bible studies that we have today? And my answer to that would be big fat yes. Uh, the way we study the Bible now is not that similar. Some, there are some similarities to the way Jesus understood the Bible, learned it, and then taught it. And I want to go through three major differences in a way to kind of encourage you uh, to think about Bible study in a different way. One of the differences, mainly written for us to go in a room, but that wasn't the main reason or the main way the people read the Bible. It was done in groups. So uh, uh, Kerry was talking about, and Becky was talking about Havarim. Havarim is a Hebrew word. It means friends who study together. Now, in the old the oral law, that's a law they just, and it wasn't really the Bible, it was just traditions they would have, uh, and they spoke out, and they, they shared these things with each other. Here's an interesting fact. It was illegal. The reason for that is kind of intriguing to me, and it helps us understand the benefit of having but being in a group when we share the scripture, and they would speak out. So a teacher would speak out, people would stand often in a circle, and they would repeat back the exact words. So the reason they didn't want to write in, written down was because they believed it was more likely to get changed or wrongly 
prescribe, we would be opposite. We would say, well, if you write it down, surely it's more likely to stay the same. But the problem was that when they were writing down the law, different scholars would be there. They'd make a slight mistake, and then somebody would copy that mistake, and eventually it would get further and further away from the original language. Does that make sense? So what they would do is somebody would say out, so they would have a group of people, and we'd all repeat exactly what was said as we were memorizing Scripture. But, of course, if everybody's saying it and you make a slight mistake, you correct yourself. So whatever, that was the way they carried on. And the oral law was illegal up until 200 years after the birth of Christ to be written down because of Judaism and the attacks on Judaism around that time and, and other reasons we won't go into. They actually wrote it down. So the Jews have the law, the oral law, and the written oral law. It's called the Mishnah. But what's fascinating to me is that, is that sometimes when, we're, when we take the Bible on our own and we just, in our own world, and we can make it, we can make it say what we want it to say, to be honest. We talked about that last week. We said, you know, if somebody said to me, what would Jesus do? I would say, which Jesus? Your Jesus or my Jesus? Because my Jesus would do something different from your Jesus. Because for me, I would probably put a little bit of me into what I think Jesus should do. And it's the same with the Bible. Studying it in a group is a healthier way of doing it. doesn't mean we don't do it individually, but we come together as friends and we study the word of God. And when they studied the word of God, they didn't see it the way we do as a handbook to life. Okay, this is where every sermon there's going to be some point where you should probably walk out. This is it. Are you ready? So, I believe, if, so when I was at school, let me just backtrack. When I was at school, we had these little red books that were given out by a group called the Gideons. Have you ever had that here? They're fantastic. And so as a school kid, I got a little, little, little Bible. It was actually in the new, just the New Testament. And at the back, they had this little thing where if you're feeling sad, or if you've been bullied, or if blah, blah, blah. Did you have this? And you could look, and you, it was a great idea. When you're a kid, that's a great idea. I'm feeling sad. I'd find a kind of answer or, or a verse that would help me in the Bible, the only, which is brilliant as a, as a kid. The only problem as an adult is we get to think, and we even hear it preached in church, the Bible is a handbook to life, and it's got all the answers. So get ready to walk out. I think if God wanted to write a handbook to life, he could have done a better job than the Bible. Because it's not that clear on the stuff. And it's confusing. And actually, if you get into the Bible, you're going to go away with even more questions than you went in when you first started, if you really study it. And that's the point. Kerry said it so brilliantly. Kerry should be preaching this sermon. It's about the search. Because what Harims were doing, they were friends who were trying to understand the heart of God. They didn't want to just know what God said. They wanted to feel what he felt when he said it. They wanted to understand the mind of Christ. And so one of the differences is purity. One of the, another difference would be what I would call purpose. Purpose. Let me just read a little bit more from that passage. So Philip's there. He feels he should go and speak to, hang around this Ethiopian. This, and then he, he notices the Ethiopian's reading the Bible. So he says to him, hey, what are you reading? Do you, do you know what you're reading? Do you understand it? And this is what happens next. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading, and then the Bible quotes it. This is the part from Isaiah. Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? 
Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. Here's what we would have done. Or here's what I was trained to do. I'd have gone to Philip, I'd have seen he was interested in the Bible, and I'd have invited him to a Bible study. I wouldn't have been able to do what Philip did. What Philip did was not start from, I've got a Bible study, it's a Bible study on um, why does God allow bad things to happen, or it's a, it's a Bible study on Joshua, would you like to come? He started with what was happening in that person's mind. He recognized that God was already speaking to this guy, and he started there. How many of us could do that? I don't know. How many of us could teach somebody the Bible based not on something we'd already prepared, but on a reaction to what somebody is already going through, what God is already speaking to them, what is God already saying to them? Um, when I was at school, um, you'll hear a few school stories. Um, I had a, a, in my school, there was an upper school and a lower school. There were two campuses. And I had a biology teacher. I can't actually remember his name. But he was very anti the Bible and anti-Christians, which meant me, because I was the only one in my class. And um, one of the ways I, I could get popular in my class was if I got him to have an argument about the Bible, because then he'd stop teaching. He'd just go on a rant for ages. So I literally would have other boys in my class give me sweets, and sometimes, sometimes I remember one guy giving me a packet of mints, because I really like mints. Um, and said, if we give you these mints, will you just like get him talking about the Bible so we'd have to do any work? Yeah, that seems fine to me. So, and it went on for, this went on for months and months and months. In fact, one day you know, we were outside in, there was a corridor and we couldn't get in the room and he came late and he, he shouted, so he, he never called me by my second name, he called me Christian, that was what he called me. So he, he shouted, oh Christian, come and get the key. Well, from that day onwards, in lower school, every time I walked in that campus, all the kids in the playground would just shout, Christian, Christian, at me as a kind of a derogatory thing. Eventually, I just tuned it out. But for probably for the best part of that six months to a year till I finished school, that's what happened. Every time I walked down, and we would have all these arguments about this stuff, and he would get quite angry, and we would, and, and I was a young kid, I was like 15 at the time, I certainly didn't have all the answers. And then one day, something really bizarre happened, and it, it took me by surprise. And we were in a class, it was coming towards the end of the year, and uh, one of the arguments went this way. We were talking about salvation and heaven and hell, and I can't remember exactly how it happened, but he basically said, um, he said, anyway, even if they're kind of hedging his bet, even if there was a God, as long as you're good, you're going to be fine. And I said to him, I wish that was true, but what the Bible says is the only way to heaven is through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to the Father is through me. And he looked a bit shocked. All the classes, loads chatting about different things. And he goes, no, it doesn't. I said, yeah, it does. It's in the Bible. It says that. He says, no, it doesn't. I said, yeah, it does. He went, listen, Christian, you show me that now, and I'll believe you, and I'll believe. And the whole class went, <gasps> and everybody looked at me. Pardon yeah, no, not for moments. <laughs> and everybody kind of looked at me. And I went, okay. Um, it's, I think it's just one second. Couldn't find it. For the life of me, couldn't find it. There was this great atmosphere, and it just people started to laugh and joke and just carried on. And I kind of missed my moment. Now, whether he'd really believed, I don't know. But he said to me, you read that to me. You tell me it says that. And he just laughed and I knew it wasn't there. And as if I hadn't been trained, hadn't been trained. Now, I don't think it's about knowing all the Bible verses in the Bible because I certainly don't know that even now. 
And if I have a little bit of a problem with my memory, I'm not very good at memorizing verses and finding where they actually are, passages. But one thing I know for a fact, I was never trained. The purpose of the Bible, teaching us the Bible, is not simply that we become fully developed followers of Christ. That's not the end goal. The end goal is that in doing so, we advance his kingdom. One of, one of the simplest illustrations of this uh, is a map. So it says this. Uh, this is something I, I found out yes, uh, about a year ago. Only 36% of Christian parents say they're confident of passing on their faith to their children compared to 85% of Muslim parents. We're not trained to understand the Bible in a way that we can pass it on. And um, you may have seen this analogy. This is not my idea. This is an old idea, but it's, it's true. Actually, Israel geographically points this out. So the Sea of Galilee is thriving with it's literally hundreds of different types of fish. I mean, it kept, it kept Jesus and his followers in fish for a long time. They ate fish and chips, no problem. They had, they had tons of it, okay? The Dead Sea is literally dead. There is no life in the Dead Sea. In fact, years ago, when the, the River of Jordan flowed into the Dead Sea, it would take algae, and it would take fish, it would take all sorts of things. The minute they hit the, de the Dead Sea, they would die. It was like a death trap. It's so salty. It's ten times more salty than any other ocean in the world. Uh, it's, uh, based, uh, why is this? It's really simple. The Sea of Galilee, the Jordan, runs into the Sea of Galilee and runs out. Water runs in, water runs out. There's a flow. When water hits the, sea of, uh, the Dead Sea, because it's so, it's so low, water runs into it and never runs out. It just flows in. It evaporates. The water evaporates. It becomes very salty and everything dies. Spiritually, that's a phenomenal metaphor for us. Because the way for us to really grow, the way for us to really experience God's life is when the Word of God flows into us and the Word of God flows out of us. But that does not mean we learn memory verses, then we go on Facebook and we throw um, spiritual grenades at people. That's not what it means. It means that we get to search for the heart of God in a way that we can begin to explain it to other people. Scripture says this, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful, not just for us, but for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In fact, there's an Arabic Arabic proverb that says this, to teach is to learn twice. To teach is to learn twice. But here's why I would say is the biggest difference in the way that we understand the Bible. Could you just close that door? Would that be okay, uh, much really quickly? Um, so here's the way I would understand it would be this. Would be, oh, let me go back a bit. Would be the practice of Scripture, the way we practice Scripture. So in um, the Middle Ages, the rabbis looked back at the days of Jesus and how Jesus actually understood the Bible. And they came up with a word, uh, in Hebrew it's the word Pardis, which is actually a Hebrew anacronym. P-R-D-N-S stand for four different ways of looking at a passage of Scripture. And this is what we'll teach in our Havarim. Um, the Hebrew words, if you're interested, are Peshat, Drash, Remez, and sued, but essentially it's a different way for us to understand and look at every scripture. So every passage of scripture, there are four ways of understanding it and studying it and um, gaining from it. So I'm going to show you a short video which kind of explains it, but let me just say this. What's really exciting for us is this, that the way society's changed, we receive information differently. So I've got a friend who works in, as, in advertisement, and he says this, he says, Everything has changed for us in the last probably now four years. 
In the past, it was push, and now it's pull. In the past, we pushed information onto people. So you watch the TV, and no matter what you're interested in, certain adverts come towards you. Now, he said, everything's changed to pull. People pull the information they want. In fact, even social media responds to where we go and what we look at. It freaks me out. I go into uh, the Bass Pro Shop, look up a, a kayak uh, on my phone, on, on Google, get home, open Facebook, and there's an advert for it. Um, that ever happens to anybody? It's creepy. It's creepy. Well, everything's turned from... So my sons, according to the New York Times, my sons were the first generation in history to watch less TV than their parents or the previous generation. Because when my sons came home, they didn't turn on the TV. They went on their computers and they researched. Kids are trained to research, which is fantastic because that's how Jesus taught the Bible. He trained people how to research and he facilitated that search for God's heart. So um, as, as some of you know, we lead an organization called Pays. It's a, a, a kind of missions organization that works around the world. And we train young people and our apprentices in this form of Bible study. So I'm going to show you a short clip because it, it, you can see other people talking about it, which is kind of works well, I think. So let me just put this on if we can do. So we want to uh, train people in how to do this in the church. In fact, Becca and the team will be training children uh, in how to study the scripture in a different way. So even as they're growing up, they can find out, they can understand scripture. They, they can search any passage for themselves and they can look at it in all different angles. And on Tuesday night in November, in one of the homes in Viridian, we're going to be opening this up for anybody who wants to come along for a four-week course. And then we'll start up having small groups, as we're calling them, in the new year. Um, so afterwards, if you're interested, please go to the info desk and, and let us know so we can send you the address and the details nearer the time. But it'll be Tuesday evenings in November. Now, we hope in the new year to have them some midweek. Maybe people can be trained to set them up during the day, uh, mid-mornings or morning parents, other groups, all sorts of different things we'd hope to do that. So, so my son, uh, Joel, who's not here this morning, he runs one in a local business. So you can know where he runs a, a havering with, with some others in a software company in Grand Prairie. Um, and, and it's important that we, we, we become like the Sea of Galilee. We know how to understand scripture and that will just teach us automatically how to pass it on. You don't need to be expert. As you can see from the video, we're training young kids how to do this. You don't have to be super intelligent. Uh, Matt can do it. Anybody can do, anybody can do this. It's not too difficult. Um, let me just read one thing and then I'm going to finish with, I just love the fact that Becky enjoyed that more than anybody else. <laughs> um, let me just read something to you. Um, in his blog, How Can the Church Survive Our Post-Truth Society, one European pastor explains... I do think we need to be studying the scriptures collaboratively. It's why I love the Havreem groups run by Pays. Havreem is a method of learning the truths of Christianity in which most members of the group are active participants in the forming of the message. At the Havreem group I attended for eight weeks, experts were, experts were involved, but mainly via smartphones and searches web searches, people discovered, and books, people discovered the knowledge for themselves via the internet and share these discoveries in the group. This is a teaching method that sits well in Adam Curtis's post-truth world. Everyone is given credence and the expert in the room does not dominate the discussion. Let me just finish with one story. Um, when I left school, I went into retail management 
and um, I worked downstairs in a department uh, as a manager of one department. And uh, one year I felt inspired to learn the Bible. So every morning break and every afternoon break and every lunchtime, I didn't go into the canteen with everybody else. I just studied the Word of God for an entire year. And on Fridays, I fasted. And afterwards, I looked back at it and I realized it was one of the most foolish things I ever did. I cut myself off from everybody else in order to discover and understand God's love for everybody else. And in actual fact, it was a foolish thing to do. I mean, it was good, I learned the Bible, but I, but I ignored everybody else. It wasn't the point. So how can we rediscover the point of the Bible, the purpose of the Bible, the practice of Bible study is one of the journeys we're going to go into, and we hope you'll join us in that. And hopefully we'll have a great time, and our confidence in the Word of God will grow, and our ability, even, even if you're a brand new Christian, You'll, know, you'll learn something you'll be able to share with others and a way of responding and helping people. You don't need to know the Bible, all the Bible, I should say, to be able to help people discover parts of it. That's the great beauty. Think about the disciples, three years with Jesus, young kids, most of them, and they changed the world because Jesus teached them how to understand the heart of God. So when problems came up, he never taught them what to do. They were able to discover for themselves. Let's pray and uh, we'll ask the Lord just to help us as we just contemplate on this. Maybe just close your eyes and just uh, as we begin to draw to a finish and uh, Ryan is just going to play and just lead us a little bit of worship. Um, just as we're quiet for a moment, can I just ask you just to maybe just start that conversation with the Lord about how confident you are in his word. Um, when we learn... It often starts with admitting what we don't know. Uh, and in fact, you can't learn without understanding you don't know things. Uh, and maybe there are times where we just need to say to the Lord, Lord, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And this morning, I'd encourage you to do that. Now, um, we're going to stand and we're going to worship, but uh, at the back in the corner... Uh, Mark and Becky are there. If you would like prayer for anything, we want to start praying for people every uh, every Sunday. So uh, let's just stand together and we're going to worship. But as we're as we're um, praying, thinking through these things and worshiping, if you would like prayer, then please just go to the corner and Mark and Becky would love to pray for you. It don't have to be anything to do with the sermon today. You just may have a need. You would like some prayer, or maybe you'd like to join with someone to pray for a family friend or somebody you know and you'd like to pray with them and feel free to go there we'd love to pray with you uh, when we finish singing one of the one of the reasons we're trying to strip down church a little bit is we want to spend more time in fellowship and chilling out with each other so please don't rush off we've got cookies and muffins apparently and we've got uh, is it muffins cupcakes that was it um, uh, cup, cupcakes and stuff and we've got coffee and all that kind of stuff so please hang around please don't rush off and maybe if you're chatting with somebody and they share a problem with you or a hope maybe you could pray for them you know it doesn't need to be me it doesn't need to be Mark and Becky maybe you could just turn around and pray with them that would be kind of cool so let's encourage each other uh, uh, as we continue the service in fellowship but uh, I'm just going to pray one more time and then Ryan's going to lead us Lord, we just uh, thank you. Right now, we pray for those who will be prayed for. You will bless them and encourage them. Uh, we pray that we will just um, constantly turn to you and ask you to help us uh, when we do doubt. Lord, doubt is not a bad thing, Lord. It's a good thing because it, it forces us to study your heart and your word. So uh, encourage us not to feel guilty, but encourage us to accept, Lord, when we doubt, when we have struggles. But may they spur us on into finding 
answers in you and your word we pray in your name we ask it Lord